0: You can't always get what you want You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes Well, you might find
1: Welcome to Visionaries. I'm John LaBelle, your host. You'll find us on prn.fm. Mondays at 10 a.m. That's if you're in the East Coast, if you're somewhere else on the globe, since we are on the Internet uh, some other time on Monday. And you'll find our back shows in the uh, Progressive Radio Network archives at visionaries.podbean.com. And... My guest today is Louis Arana, who is an expert in a lot of stuff. We're going to generalize and say AI, artificial intelligence, but we'll uh, generalize from there about all kinds of techie and cultural stuff in our changing world. So um, how should we start? Louis uh, let's just start with a little bit of an overview of who you are, how you got in artificial intelligence, and what uh, AI is.
0: Uh, you know, the, the talking about myself part is always uh, the worst part of any kind of interview. Because, Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I really like to uh, talk about what I'm doing, not what I've done. But um, I think it's it, – I've realized that it's become important to do so, so I'll, I'll give it to you as fast as I can. Okay. Great. <laughs> I'm a developer for over 20 years. I've worked for Fortune 500 companies. I've made websites, applications, uh, you know, web applications, cloud applications, mobile applications for a lot of companies, dozens of TV shows, dozens of movies, video games. Um, the listeners have more than likely used or have used the site's and services that i've worked on so right. so i'm not i'm not new at this i've won a lot of awards i've you know been invited to google and yada 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 uh the only reason i say that is so that people understand because some of these things that uh we're doing and some of the technology that's available now uh people doubt that it can exist like i don't think people are like oh you can you build a robot and uh, isn't that hard and how can one person do that and um it's really about the tools that are available today um so yeah uh i hate the word expert but uh yeah i'm an, I'm definitely an expert in programming in general and in artificial intelligence in particular
1: great so yeah when you said uh, build a robot one of my colleagues has robots walking around his office and he um <clears throat> the vision system you know just a couple of years mm-hmm. ago might have cost ten thousand dollars, and now you buy a Microsoft Kinect and take the right. <laughs> uh, the vision system out of it and put it in your robot, put a, a, a Raspberry Pi in there, and you're all set with I these. Do. I um, do a
0: lot. I have multiple of the, both of those uh, in right. my in my lab. Yeah.
1: Great. So, um, so what we wanted to talk about today is, uh, you know, we could. Talk about all kinds of general ideas about artificial intelligence and stuff and the, these new technologies. But uh, Lewis is working on uh, an interesting concept of how can you sort of use these to radically make the world better for a lot of people. Mm. And you've described, you're working on products in education, medical and humanitarian. So let's go through those. And what are some of the products? What are you doing in educational? And how might we see the world very differently through these technologies? Uh,
0: Well, uh, after that kind of illustrious career I I mentioned earlier, um, I I, I kind of walked away from that a few years ago to focus specifically on artificial intelligence because something I've always uh, been interested in. and through that process over the last three years, I've, I've built an AI framework and founded a company, uh, founded an organization called uh, Robots Without Borders, which is robotswithoutborders.io is the website. Um, and the object is to uh, use existing technologies. Uh, not, not so much things we're inventing, but new ways to use existing technologies to handle uh, jobs that are in desperate need in, say, the third world, or even a lot of places in the United States, and so uh, we have three main lines of of, of products for that: educational AI, a medical AI, and a humanitarian AI. Uh, they're all interchangeable. That's why I call it a framework. Um, you can your robot can be a doctor and a lawyer, let's say, or it can, <laughs> it can education maybe part of the humanitarian relief. Uh, so. Um, all of these artificial intelligence modules are interchangeable with each other. Uh,
1: there, There's a um, uh, couple of stories from a while back. I should look up and see how they've been updated. One was an Indian computer scientist who put, at that time, maybe it was before tablets, but built a computer into the wall, outside wall of his laboratory, and watched kids uh, come by and teach themselves, you know, how to use it. And um, his contention was that uh, in nine months, uh, anybody anywhere in the world could teach themselves uh, to handle English, you know, at the level of, a, of a, uh, uh, an office secretary. Another story told by the guy who founded the MIT Media Lab, Wow, I'm a big fan of those
0: guys. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what was his name? Um, anyway, he was working with a project where they took tablets and put them in the middle of the Kalahari Desert for kids. Mm. And these were kids who had never seen anything in English, you know, not even on a on a, uh, a fuel can or something like that. And the question was, how long will it take them to teach themselves English? and they were kind of disappointed they didn't learn english very quickly but they uh they had turned the cameras off so they could the the, the researchers could use the cameras to mm-hmm. watch the kids the kids hacked the system and turned the cameras on so they, they could did. use them <laughs> so there's this um really rapid uh, potential for self learning with the tools as simple as a tablet
0: mm-hmm. uh, so i was a big fan in the 90s when the uh, Bill Gates and other other companies launched the XO laptop program and the One Laptop Per Child program. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it was only partially successful. Um, so what I've done now in 2017 is build basically a software version of that so no matter what device you have very retroactive also so you know our system can work on Windows 98 if you need it to or even on a non smartphone by communicating through text through a phone cool. number uh, and just do this all the thinking and processing on the internet and it just texts you and answers your texts and essentially you're having access to you know this much more powerful uh, system than could ever be achieved just on your phone. Um.
1: Well, you know, interestingly, um, the one lap t- one laptop per child uh, tried to make a laptop for a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. which was very difficult when they started. What about fifteen yeah. years ago? Today, we're just about there. But actually, as I recall, Bill Gates was not supportive. Because he said, it's going to be the phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're going to have it. And right now, you know, two-thirds of all Africans have uh, phones. Right, so right. It's a he, common misconception
0: there. that the poorest people in the world don't have phones. They have phones and they starve to death because it's a lot easier to get, you know, 10 or $20 to buy a cheap Chinese made-in-China phone than it is to feed your family for $26 a month every month. Uh, and, right. and, and also, uh, you know, we send a lot of our trash to the third world um, and, you know, they get our scraps, which is why it's important for us to work on older phones and older computers because a lot of these guys, and they're brilliant, I've seen some just amazing minds come out of, you know, places like uh, Nigeria where, you know, people build their own windmills and solar farms and, you know, give themselves cell phone access and internet access. Like that, that creativity with no resources um, are those are the kind of people I want to help with this technology? I think the $100 laptop um, failed because it's a piece of hardware. Remember, now we're talking—that's four months' salary. That computer could be used for something else, for somebody else to make a job or run a business or you know whatever they're trying to do. And it just wasn't—it was being diverted from the children. Then you have penetration. You have corrupt governments that take the equipment. Um, so this software-based version just kind of knows you the way your Facebook knows you and the way you can log into your Facebook from different devices and do different levels of, of things, cool. you know, except this is your teacher, your doctor, and people can't steal it from you. You could just log in from another device and, you know, you have your teacher again who remembers last week's lesson.
1: So for listeners who haven't had an experience I had a couple of weeks ago, um, I've always had, well, my first smartphone was the iPhone three, so I didn't get the one or two, um, and I actually wasn't anxious to get it. I had this beautiful Motorola clam shell flip phone, but it stopped working because it was analog. You know, it just wouldn't work anymore. But <clears throat> so I'm used to these phones being expensive, and you pay for them mm-hmm. through your program, your monthly, you know, uh, access fee. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wander into a staples, and I'm just wandering around while my wife is shopping elsewhere, and I see a whole board with these phones sort of stapled to this display, and I'm looking at the phones, and I'm seeing prices from ten dollars to eighty dollars. and I'm thinking, What are these cases? What what? And I'll look again and I say, Oh my God. These are smartphones with video screens for as cheap as $10. Right. Well,
0: any and any any, like, any given Dollar no. Tree has items that used to cost, you know, 50 to 100 times more just 30 years ago. You know, like uh, all the high-end gold-tipped stereo wires that now you could buy at the dollar store and, you know, all those kind of things. <laughs> they sell solar-powered little gizmos. I mean, that stuff was expensive at, at one time and just efficiency and scale of production, you know, bring eventually everything down to zero. I mean, uh, so my grandkids will buy the equivalent of the f- of my new iPhone for a dollar in the dollar store and throw it away at the end of the day, probably.
1: So, you were talking earlier when we were chatting about um, automation and there's this, you know, big discussion now about jobs disappearing mm-hmm. because they get automated. And if we think of something like um, automobiles it's true that uh united states got shafted so you know the japanese can sell automobiles here but we can't sell our automobiles mm. in japan so how's that fair trade mm. but um, simply making better trade deals is going to have limited effect because it now takes a quarter as many people to make an automobile mm. as it did 30 years ago so what's the continuing trend of that and how do you see it playing out
0: um one of the most common questions i'm asked besides are you building skynet is uh you know why do you work in automating people's jobs and um you know i want a robot to take your job i want a robot to take my job i want a robot to take everyone's job um, for a few reasons Um, the first one is that People fear automation because they think that they're going to be sharing the economy with robots and being displaced workers. When they what they don't see is that uh, automated production of goods and services, that economy and that production of those goods and services is going to be ten times, maybe a thousand times larger economic potential than we can do as human beings. So. We, then we haven't we're not even in our conservative ten times more we have imagine we have an economy ten times bigger we could please the right and the left by cutting taxes in half which will make the right extremely happy and also by funding all existing government programs at five times their current levels which would make the left happy and um, and it it would be. Sort of a push into this age of abundance that we we talked about earlier um so the first reason is just a simple economic one i you know want to better libraries and schools and fire departments and highways and roads and uh, you know all of the kind of things that come from a larger economy um uh secondly is is something that a lot of people overlook is that um we have to ask ourselves a question I think that time has come for mankind and society in general to ask ourselves this question of, does a person have a right to eat and live without contributing directly to the profit of a corporation or a government? Because that's what we call a job. Um, you're, does a disabled person have a right to a quality of life? Do people deserve to sleep in the street? Do children deserve to starve? regardless of where in the world they are, because they're not directly contributing to the economy. And and that, to me, it's people overlook it because, you know, it's a small percent of the population, maybe 15 percent of the population in the United States is under the poverty line. So it's easy to dismiss those 15 percent as is their own fault or they did something wrong or they have bad luck. Um, <clears throat> So I think that we now we have to start asking ourselves as that unemployment rate goes from fifteen percent to thirty percent to seventy percent to ninety percent, um, what do we want to be as a society? Is this even necessary? The human humans evolved to be hunter gatherers and not to sit in a box, you know, for 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 most of their lives. And um, I think there are better things to do with our time. Number one, you'll have work, but you'll have people who want to do like you want to do this radio show. I want to do robots. If I go home at night and I have a bed to sleep in and I have food on the table and I have my little laboratory and my equipment, um, I'm not going to stop doing that. I'll, I I have and will do it for free. Um, and that leads to a more creative, dynamic work environment because everyone wants to be there. The people in the library love books. The people you know, in offices love serving customers. Um, you'll just see a, a totally different kind of people make their work ethic. And I personally think the answer to that question for me is is yes, a person does deserve certain inalienable rights from birth. Um, you know, uh, society expects me not to, you know, fight my neighbor for resources and break any laws and I didn't sign the Constitution. Like, it's been put upon me and so there needs to be a social contract and a social safety net in exchange for my, you know, participation in in government um, so we should give people we should educate children because it's good for the economy and it's less violence and you know we could catch problems early because people are paying attention to children as they grow up and see what their needs are um, there's better ways to spend our time we could spend our time with our family you know we could take care of our children and our parents and you know, imagine, um, <laughs> you know, but find yourself, be at peace, paint, do all the things that you can't do now because, you know, you're choking yourself with a tie and jumping on a train and killing yourself to just to have the basic necessities of life. And I think that leads to a lot of social problems and a lot of personal problems and uh, a lot of suffering in the world because we're going against our nature. To build a better future and we've lost a little bit of the vision of like that future that we're trying to build so
1: so here's a project for somebody and that is to map that whole thing out in other words how do you do that and at the same time maintain motivation and Not innovation <laughs> and stuff like that uh, but i think you're right it's gonna someone's gonna have to work that out uh along the way i a story i like to tell uh, about automation is I um, uh, describe. My mother did high school in three years, Barnard College in three years, and was in the class, of the first class of women at Columbia, when mm-hmm. women were allowed to go to Columbia Law School. And then she got a job in the interior department typing. And you made one mistake in a sheet of typed paper, you retyped it. <laughs> They hadn't invented that great stuff called whiteout, you know, and uh, the and and then you know they didn't even have Xerox then, so you needed two copies. The, ca-
0: the carbon machines. You they'd pull you, the lever.
1: The uh, uh, mimeograph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you you type the three or four carbons, you know, and you think of, they actually ran World War Two mm-hmm. without Xerox machines. <laughs> they needed copies. They had to use carbon paper. I uh, hope our listeners know what that is. Uh, but anyway, so nobody should be doing that. You know, they're just more creative things that the, the talented, imaginative, educated person could be doing than retyping uh, sheets of paper that have a mistake in them. And then we think of, you know, more and more, quote unquote, sophisticated tasks are like that. If a computer can do it, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. We should be doing something more imaginative, and um, uh, we should all have the resources, opportunity, and uh, education to be able to do imaginative things that are self-fulfilling. So the workforce so, should
0: be an art; should be a voluntary army and not a conscripted army, cool. and, and that leads to tremendous gains. in Productivity and creativity and...
1: Everybody's delighted with the vol- with the voluntary American military. It's considered <laughs> the most competent military ever. Sure. Comp- and they
0: enjoy extra benefits. And I imagine a future where, you know, maybe you... Everyone's born with a mutual fund in the general U.S. economy. And, uh, you know, you're not allowed to withdraw anything past the initial principle. And, but you can always take the interest and use it for college and all kinds of things and give a little people some skin in the game. Who just got here? Our children, you know, yeah. so that we don't create these, you know, megalopolis like, you know, companies that have lost their connection. The founders are dead. And now it's just this kind of self-fulfilling money right. machine. Right? And it's not even as much money as we can make. It's actually a very selfish approach because it's not efficient.
1: So there was a book that uh, I had when I was a student, and I think it was written around 1947 by Paul and Percival Goodman. So Paul Goodman was a quite prominent social critic in the 60s. He wrote a book called Growing Up Absurd, which was along with McLuhan and people like that were the the Bibles of the 60s. And his brother was an architect, Percival Goodman. And they wrote this book about what a community should be like. Uh, So, you know, at the time, the best they could come up with was public housing, these giant projects. And these were people who wanted to make a better society were giving us public housing. So they put a little more thought into it about what would be more ideal. So maybe we need that for our uh, automated future, hmm. you know, sort of mapping out how things should be set up. You're involved with futurist groups. Maybe they could organize some panels I to would, try I, to I work say, that through.
0: I would say, I mean, do, I do a lot of futurist panels. Um, I would say they have me a lot more than I do futurist panels a lot. So, uh, I describe myself as a futurer and not a futurist, because I'm uh, somebody who's creating the future rather than somebody who's talking about the oh, future, cool. pontificating about what the future should be. Um, so this Robots Without Borders project is a very right-now kind of project. I already have a few AIs in uh, some public schools in New York City at Materials for the Arts, and I'm working with a few teachers to build up lesson plans. Um, And they're showing them to their students and it's it's going really well so far in the beta people are uh,
1: So tell me how some of those work. In other words, we talked about your interest in education, medical and humanitarianism What are some specific examples of things you're doing or Have on the horizon that you're going to be working on?
0: Uh, I have a YouTube channel where I kind of Post the newest functions that I build into this system. It's it's, it's really a little difficult to explain I'll I'll try Uh, basically we put a, uh, a, a 3D character onto a screen or onto a projection in a classroom that acts as the teacher's assistant so um, they can ask definitions, uh, it can follow along the lesson plans, eventually we would like to move to one-on-one student tutoring uh, where these robots help you with your homework for example, um, ask the kids what they want to be when they grow up and then encourage them to do those kinds of things so the kids, I want to be a carpenter. Okay, let's get a piece of wood and start building something. I'll give you the plans. First do this, then do that. Uh, So uh, we're building a cabinet for Automotive High School in Brooklyn right now that is an AI cabinet uh, that walks the students through the tools and through the things that they can do with those tools and then gives projects. So, you know, here's how you use a Raspberry Pi. Here's how you use an Arduino. Like here's And answer your questions about it. And your kid can ask, what's the green wire do? And I will explain it to him.
1: So let, for, for some of our listeners, <laughs> tell them what a Raspberry Pi is.
0: It is basically <coughs> a tiny little laptop. Uh, it's a, a little computer motherboard that's uh, a little bigger than a credit card. I actually have one half the size of a credit card, but they come in various. They're, they're basically what just looks like a little tiny in the old days would be a processor, is actually the whole computer. And, and they're
1: can, about as powerful as my first Macintosh. Right?
0: Uh, they're as powerful as a netbook was a couple years ago. Still incredibly useful because you can embed that anywhere. I mean, think about, I could carry 50 of these on my person. Uh, so then you start to get, you know, huge gains from that kind so of thing. So you
1: put it in a, if you're making a quadrucopter drone or you're making a I robot. have or,
0: one Raspberry Pi for each engine.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Some you know, I would do Raspberry Pi to Arduino, but you know. Uh, the point so is that they're Arduino? small enough and light enough to even think about putting them in a quadcopter, which yeah. is, you can't do with a laptop or a phone.
1: So what's an Arduino and what's the difference between that and a Raspberry, so Raspberry
0: Pi? So a Raspberry Pi, think of it as a mini computer, just a little tiny laptop. If you plug a little tiny screen and a little tiny keyboard and a little tiny mouse, you can use your little you tiny Windows in, or Linux you, on you it. You
1: can plug in a big keyboard. Right,
0: right. But like yeah, I've done it with little ones too. You can, you can make a tiny computer out of this thing and the, the whole tiny computer setup is probably $50 or so. So they're very cheap. Uh, Arduino Arduino is more of a uh, motor sensory thing. That's where you would plug your sensors in. People use them for home automation, motion detection, range vision, and so when you combine those two things together, then you have a computer that can control things, and that's what the like Internet of Things is. Each your toaster has you know this technology inside of it and can go online and knows remember how you like your toast and. You know, press the stop button for you, that kind of thing. Arduino controls motor function, and P- Raspberry Pi is a little computer that can control m- mental function.
1: So here, here's, here's, here's uh, a little suggestion from the two of us, mm-hmm. and that is uh, sometime around the third or fourth grade, kids should be, you know, playing with yeah. these things.
0: I don't think there is an early enough age. Yeah, so I give the, them to my babies as long as they don't well, have toxic components.
1: <laughs> but, well, you, you don't want to put them in their mouth, right. But it's like, it, it, you know, like, so my father was an attorney, but he was always down in the basement with a shop. And uh, so whether it, it's a screwdriver or pliers or he would make pottery and sculpture and we had a kiln. And hmm. so, uh, you know, I can do those things. Hmm. Um and just you know to to use a pair of pliers or something just you grow up with naturally yeah. so you should grow up with a arduino and a mm. raspberry pi I, I, I think
0: kids are for the most part there Go are lots <laughs> of smart there are lots of smart toys and programmable toys and um, i have you know my basement is Exactly like you're describing, I also do sculpture and pottery and art and all kinds of the traditional things that you would do you know in a garage or a basement but you know we also have a robotics corner and we also have tubs of parts to play with um, so I think it's just an extension of our natural inclination to be inventive and a natural engineering you know yeah well I think there have been engineers throughout the ages like Leonardo da Vinci you know uh, You don't need the technology to exist to invent the technology. That's kind of the point.
1: So the most prominent futurist right now is uh, Ray Kurzweil. Mm -hmm. And he describes as a kid going to Canal Street, there's almost nothing left. I go to that same store.
0: One of them is still there. Yeah, Yeah. there's
1: one left. But (laughs) when we were kids, you go to Canal Street, and there was just store after store after Uh, store of...
0: Hackers' paradise. Yeah, Yeah, just
1: electronic parts and they would put boxes of them out on the sidewalk mm-hmm. in front, like anything in this box, $1.
0: That, the, the one that's still open is on Canal Street and 6th Avenue. That one there is still open next to Canal Plastics. There's a place that does uh, surplus electronics, and, yeah, they'll sell you anything. Uh, and it was great. Yeah, you could get sensors in there. You get you know weird odds and ends and buy hair dryers for experiments. And uh, Thankfully, there's still one place left that does that.
1: Right. <laughs> And one of the reasons they're gone is many of those functions are now in software rather than in hardware. So mm-hmm. in a way, you can say all well, that stuff has been replaced by apps. Mm-hmm. So once you have the smartphone, then there's hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of apps that uh, anybody can make. And-
0: also, people are throwing out technology that we used to pay a lot of money for. I, I'm, I would say I get three-quarters of the parts that I use for robotics from, you know, direct surplus, I found it, someone gave it to me, they know, oh, let me save them that old desktop computer or that monitor or, you know, that VCR because that VCR has 30 little motors in it and servos and lasers and, you know, there are all kinds of, uh, so I think it's just easier. I don't have to walk the Canal Street a lot anymore because, you know, a lot of those parts that used to be specialty parts and hobby parts uh, are now ubiquitous you, know, you literally find them in the street. And
1: That's cool. I hadn't thought of it that way that the... Uh a, um, a VCR is sort of a mine full of.
0: <laughs> well, you got I me. Mean, you yeah, you desolder it. There are there are parts that you could just immediately use. They're always you know. Yeah, it's got to
1: have lots of motors in it that yeah. th- when it opens and shuts the door. <laughs> My dad or, taught
0: me that. My dad, you know, only had a, a partial education. Uh, he was a, a mechanic for a lot of his life, and um, he taught me that. You can open anything and see how it works. Uh, you can't always put it back together, but every, everything, is, you know, you can break down anything. Don't be scared to, like, open your TV and see what's inside. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a whole new world, and people tend to see an object as an object. And if you have the engineering eye, you tend to see an object as, you know, 50 uh, objects. So
1: I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little story about that. So, you know, I, the TVs I grew up with as a kid, about every six months, it would go on the fritz, and you call the repair guy and he would replace a vacuum tube Mm. because ours was right next to the entrance and the door would slam and jolt the thing and so I uh, had a a big screen monster TV maybe I don't know, not huge but a pretty big screen and it was this big heavy box.
0: Eight feet deep and 400 pounds. So
1: (laughs) I have plants on top of it. I water the plant and it overflows and It was kind
0: of the new fireplace, wasn't it?
1: Sound and it went blank. So, it was still in the warranty. Guy comes. I said I watered. He says, "Don't tell me that. That voids the warranty." Opens it up. Inside are two things: this huge tube, and a board about four inches by eight inches. That's all. The four is by it. That's the TV. All those tubes and wires and the TVs when I was a kid is now this one little board.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the phones are the same thing. I, I open phones sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I remember when this took up, you know,
1: when there was stuff in there. I
0: remember when this was a square meter of, of, of electronics, and now it's all yeah. You know, look at this tiny cute right. processor,
1: tiny cute battery. <laughs> so, so what are some more of your projects and? in education, medical, and humanitarianism?
0: Uh, So the idea with the educational is to field test it here in New York City. um, And then when we feel that we have something that is, you know, a a finished usable product, which is actually very soon, in the next coming months, I would estimate, then to start giving that technology for free to people who need it the most in the world. uh, So that, uh, you know, a village without a teacher can, ha- can use the teacher's assistant as their teacher and fill in the gaps. Uh, so. so how
1: would this be different from Khan Academy, for example? What's Khan Academy? Oh, Khan Academy is it's a famous story where this um, uh, hedge fund manager named Khan was, uh, had a niece who was having problems with math. So he made little how-to YouTube videos. They put them on YouTube just as a way to communicate them to her. And it's now a
0: Uh, multi-billion dollar operation. (laughs) It's probably the biggest
1: (laughs) online education (laughs) thing uh, up there competitive with the big, you know, edX and all that. And uh, so, for example, um, uh, of course, for practical stuff, if I say, "How how do I set up a playlist on for my YouTubes, you know, so they're not just scattered. Mm. Or recently I was doing something and it involved matrix math. So if you've got a, two grids of numbers, how do you add them or multiply them? And matrix algebra is sort of interesting. A very crude version was invented by, I think Heisenberg to um, for handling quantum mm-hmm. theory and Schrodinger did mm-hmm. it with his, uh, wave, his uh, wave equations. Mm. And it turned out to be equivalent. So how does this work? So you just put, you know, matrix multiplication in YouTube and, oh, you know, you watch a video, a guy shows well, you how it now, works.
0: Now with this system, it's even easier than that. You literally just ask the robot, explain matrix math to me, and it'll continue cool. to, 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 to go on and on about it until, you know, you move to another subject. Uh, and that's the idea. Uh, and it's starting sort of like starting Siri, simple. right? Right, right. Like, like Super Siri. Um, because Siri's limited, and Siri a lot of times will just be like, here's the website. Like, oh, I could have Googled <laughs> no. that. You know, Siri, doesn't, she doesn't actually often give you the answer. She points you to the answer.
1: So she says, I found two pizza places near your yeah. location. <laughs> 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 We're waiting for it to be able to do more than that. Although, an interesting one recently, um, uh, now it's uh, about a month or so ago, there was a cover story in the New York Times Magazine section on Google Translate. Hmm and it was how they use neural nets to update it. Mm-hmm. So I took a paragraph of English and I went to uh, Apple's Translate mm-hmm. app, or Gizmo, or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, and I put it in, took English, translated it to Chinese, translated back to English, and it was gibberish, it's yeah, not very yeah, good. Yeah. Then you do it with Google Translate, and it comes back perfect.
0: And Google, a few months ago, past the level of human transcription. So that means it's actually better at translation than a human translator.
1: Well, and they've done it now for, I think, six languages. Hmm. And they've got a hundred
0: more to go that they'll be working on. So now there's an API that you use as a service. So that's one of the things that my robots will look for. Like, if you're speaking Portuguese, it will literally use the Google API and be like, translate it, then take that text and, you know, translate it back so that they have a way to communicate Various languages.
1: So the cool thing is the interlinkability of all these things. You don't have to do everything from scratch. Right. You know, I was, uh, I had uh, set up an online service for a client just before the internet hit, you know, just before uh, the Mosaic browser. And so we used, um, we were using uh, bulletin board software. And my techie was very capable. Yes. Yeah. So, but my techie would say, uh, so we, we set up our first Cisco r- router. He says, okay, so we download Apache, we do this, we do this. It's like all these free components mm-hmm. are just there. Uh, and uh, now there are a thousand mm-hmm. times more of them and mm-hmm. more capable.
0: I, I would argue that the, uh, many of the technologies that I'm using to do these humanitarian educational type of AIs Existed already and have existed now for a while. People ask me sometimes, like, "How do you beat Google in voice recognition?" Or like, "If you could save so many people with this technology, then like, how come DARPA hasn't done it? How come Microsoft hasn't done it?" And and the reason, uh, and you know, I, I have a really long corporate background, and I've I've worked on multi-million-dollar projects. I've done like you know, security that was highly sensitive for Citibank's website, things like those that you know. That there seems to me when I was in the business to be just an almost infinite amount of money that, you know, just to solve that problem. Um, And I moved to AI and I just became poor because no one really. So these corporations are, their goal is to make money and they measure their success in how much money they can make, not how many lives they can enrich, not how many children can educate, not how many, you know. Lives can be saved in an emergency. Um, and, and I've really, over the last several years, kind of changed my perspective of success. Um, so I rely a lot on crowdfunding, and, you know, I just do it anyway. Like I'm just willing to do it because I want the technology to exist.
1: So at this point in our show, let's take a quick detour. And uh, if people want to follow up on what you're doing, get involved with crowdfunding some of your projects, where do they go?
0: Uh, RobotsWithoutBorders.io is the uh, website I recently launched. To uh, There's lots of demo videos on there, from 25 or so right now, and oh, I add cool. more frequently. And it kind of explains each project in detail and what we're trying to do. Um, and it's f- 100% volunteer and 100% nonprofit. And uh, uh, yeah, it's not easy. So, I mean, yeah, any, any small contribution really helps. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not. A big fan of fundraising and venture capital in general. I don't have a lot of faith. I fully expect that you know every crowdfunding attempt I make is going to fail. I think I'm just willing to do it anyway, and that's got me a lot of notoriety. Um, uh, but like I say I really do. Uh, you know, at my core, I would re- I would not want to be rich in a world where other people are not rich. I want to live in a world where. Uh, we're all equally rich, or and so I rather than personally enriching myself, I can make a lot of money for myself, or I can enrich everyone's life a little bit. Then I think that that's the more important, you know, avenue to take. And you know, at the end of your life when you look back on what did I do, I don't care if it was a BMW or a Honda, but I do, you know, remember that. Remember those people. How many? Uh, so I want lots of people at my funeral. That's how I measure success, cool. how many people show up to your funeral.
1: <laughs> so, so talking about a lot of people, uh, these people are involved in being rich, but uh, there's something called Singularity University, mm. and I um, uh, encourage our listeners to go look them up. Mm. And they, a lot of their lectures are online. You mm. find them on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. But it was put together by Peter Diamandis, who – Founded the X Prize. So he describes, he happened to be reading um, Charles Lindbergh's um, autobiography. And he didn't realize that Lindbergh flew the Atlantic solo to win a $25,000 prize. Mm. And it was a very effective uh, device on the prize giver because. A lot of people spent a lot of money.
0: Sure, they spend thirty dollars to thirty million to spend. Yeah, win ten million at the end.
1: Right. So he founded um, something called the X Prize, and its first project was a ten million dollar prize for whoever could go into or go mm-hmm. launch a spacecraft and then reuse it, and that would, you know within a relaunch within a week, mm-hmm. and that would mean we're entered the era of regular space flight. And now there are lots of people doing that. But uh, they've got many more of these now for tricorders and oil cleanups and stuff like that. But then he got together with Ray Kurzweil and they founded something called uh, Singularity University. Now the... um, I'll use a nasty word. The greedy part of it is... uh, Their sessions are for high-paying corporate executives Mm. who go off for a couple weeks. Mm. And Now, one of the advantages of that for people who can afford it is that you hang out with other—you make good contacts Mm. at those things. But as we see with TED, uh, they can also make it available to everybody uh, when they put the lectures Mm. online. But the— the The way they like to describe their projects at Singularity University is: while you're a student there, you come up with a project, and your project has to make the lives of at least one billion people better. And uh, so, an example of a project like that, which hasn't really panned out, I occasionally. Well, so I have
0: a question. Is I feel like shoot. I'm. I feel like I. That is also my mantra, of like that's how I wake up in the morning. Of how do I make a difference in a billion oh. people's lives. Um, I've been a fan of Singularity University from almost the very beginning I used to steal all their lectures on like LimeWire and download them all cool. and watch all the Singularity University lectures because they weren't leaving them open to the public at a like pay to access them But we, people stole them and, and thankfully so because that was part of my education you know anyway um, why do you need Singularity University to why, well, I, I think what is it inside of most people that they tell themselves that they're powerless that they tell themselves there's nothing I can do you know, there's nothing I can do to help. There's nothing I can do to succeed. Yeah, yeah. So I just feel like I, I I wish, you know, like I said, I've been a huge fan. I wish I could go to Singular University. I can't. I'm not in enough. I don't have the money to do it, but I couldn't even afford the books, most likely. Um, but, but why should that stop me? Like, I'm not intimidated by that. That's a huge bureaucratic system that's built on the startup Silicon Valley culture. And they're they're doing great things, but that doesn't mean I can't do great things, you know. Um, so, you know, I would, I would like be a part of that organization. I've always looked up to them. Like I said, they send me a scholarship. I'm there tomorrow. My thesis is already done. So, I, you know, it's going to be a long party college for me. Um, but, uh, I can't, uh, that's not going to, I don't need them to have the goal of making the world a better place. Well, also that's my personal goal.
1: Yeah. And, and we can, um, uh, I mean, if you and I wanted to, we could start an organization as soon as we get off the air, mm-hmm. and say we're you know we'll find some place that'll lend us a space. Uh, I would like to we'll see. We'll meet once a week.
0: Singular And we'll start give inviting speakers,
1: to... and we'll start you know yeah, we do
0: that. There's a few. I'm part of that, and you're part yeah. of it too. A huge grassroots organization like the Futurist Sessions and Life Extension people. I mean, I you know New York City definitely the new counterculture. The Kind of subculture is uh, technologists, and a lot of us think this way. I'm not the only person, there's a whole you know fight club of guys who think just like me, how am I gonna make the world a better place in a big way and not in yeah. a small way?
1: So, one example, and it hasn't been panning out, but there's a very interesting guy named Dean Kamen. Mm-hmm. And Dean Kamen came on the scene as an inventor, he did uh, wheelchairs that'll go upstairs and he did the uh, yeah, those
0: are great i love he that.
1: did a, a portable uh, dialysis mm-hmm. machine so kidney patients can climb out I, Everest. I, I, my mom only... needs
0: that right now i'm literally uh, in the uh, 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 i'm getting tested to give her one of my kidneys uh, right now uh, give me so, a little portable dialysis tomorrow right
1: <laughs> so he um infamously is the inventor of the segway which is and which, do you die on that too? Well, no. But it's a really interesting case study because uh, if you remember a few years back, the hype around this thing that mm-hmm. that Dean came in will be announcing one of the greatest inventions mm-hmm. of all time that will totally change all mm-hmm. of life. And his biggest backer is Steve Jobs, who says this is the greatest invention. You know what? what's what is it what is it what is it you know and and it turns out to be a you know a a hand pushed lawnmower that you stand on (laughs) and uh, even steve jobs when he saw it said couldn't you have made it look a little cooler but the idea was it would be something in between walking and the automobile Mm -hmm. and you stand on this thing you zip around battery powered uh on and on it didn't catch on So there's all kinds of analysis as to why, which is interesting business analysis. And part of it is Dean Kamen's personality, which is he's not good at working with other people. But then he comes up with another one, which was called Slingshot. It's the size of a dorm room refrigerator. It runs on any fuel, like cow dung, anything. And you put raw sewage in and medical grade injectable water comes out. So it can produce for a penny a gallon, uh, two gallons of uh, of pure water a day anywhere in the world. So he got Coca-Cola to back him. They made several thousand of them and put them around the world. Uh, and they're pro- apparently it's not working as well as they had because I haven't seen in the past three years. That it took off, Mm -hmm. but that's a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) the biggest problem in the world today is dirty water. It's the cause of half of all disease. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a huge percent of the world's population doesn't have clean water. Uh, Here's a solution. And And the uh, solution's
0: always been there. I, I, I said it's not. It's not about the solution's not existing. It's about the will, and we have more of a will as a society to make pe- more people click on more ads and to <laughs> kill people more efficiently and to make more money for more rich people than we do to, you know, desalinate water. or And it, come, it comes back to bite you in the ass is, I think, what they don't understand. I think that, as I mentioned with automation, there are ways to – there. Are, Wall Street doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, and economics don't have to be a zero-sum game, and everyone can win – uh, but people just have that competitive mentality of I gotta, you know, uh, capitalism. Uh, not that I'm totally anti-capitalism, but it's an evolutionary survival of the fittest system.
1: Yeah, but look, you know, in sometimes in the long run, it works out. Like we're talking about smartphones. That oh, so the the first portable phone was three thousand. No, was it three or four thousand? Three ninety nine. When
0: I was a bike messenger as a young man my deliveries, and I had to get bonded to do this, a lot of them were carrying a a, a flip cell phone in a, like, secured case with a padlock from one business to another business. That's how valuable cell phones are, that Mm -hmm. they would pay a courier to go get this phone, and even then, it was, like, locked, and the courier couldn't get into it, and it wasn't that it was sensitive information. It was that it was valuable technology, and they treated it like delivering gold because it was expensive as gold.
1: And now there's... (laughs) You know, you get good ones for $40, and they're as cheap as $10. Yeah, now every
0: kindergartner has one, or they're right, not cool. Right, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So they do spread. So uh, any other—we're uh, going to be wrapping up in about <clears throat> five minutes or so. So um, any other projects you're working on that our audience might find interesting?
0: Uh, I would say uh, people should uh, visit my YouTube channel, and they could uh, easily Google Robots Without Borders and find all the relevant information about it. Um, uh, There's a lot there, and it's certainly uh, taking off. Uh, My videos that I originally, as you were saying earlier, I used YouTube, I filmed everything on my cell phone, like, okay, I just programmed this new visual recognition system, and then I would like test it on my cell phone and film it. And then I started putting it to YouTube so I could share with my collaborators. You've
1: got a female character you can talk to, right? Uh, yeah, Luna. She's actually
0: become a life of her own, and people like like her better than me, which is fine. You know, well, the first job I want to automate is my own. So, yeah, I made this uh, originally. You know, I built the interface in, in a day because I really was programming the brains, but what I did was just make a face and a voice, and and once that happened, they kind of, on a life of its own and uh, a lot of people follow luna online so luna is a representative of the framework that we're building um so sometimes she's a teacher sometimes she's a doctor and uh, it's kind of just my way of interfacing with the program that i'm building and it's a really good sign to me that she got so popular because that means that you know the thousand other ais that people build with this ai framework you know you could choose like luna is just kind of my test bed
1: i forget her name but didn't wasn't there one on ray Kurzweil's website for a while uh Something. yeah
0: he's been involved in the field that for a while i him. don't know which one specifically but there are some you know really good ai chat bots and things like that i think just uh what's revolutionary about what i'm doing is not any particular function but just as far as i know no one's ever them all at once. No one's ever had a chatbot that can also do speech recognition, that can also talk back to you, that can hear, you know, that has all these parts of the brain. Um, So, you know, that's what's interesting about it. And also the direction I'm using it for is that if you think AI doesn't exist at this point, like deluding yourself, I'm doing it in my basement with no money, like Google, Microsoft, you know, Apple, they're all doing it. Again, what is the focus of their efforts on artificial intelligence is monetary, personal wealth, uh, you know, and better killing machines and drones and automated weaponry and better intelligence and those kind of things yeah. and um, you, all you have to do is use those existing technologies and just point them in another direction and suddenly you're like, oh look, these powerful tools have been developed. How can I use this to help someone in need? And, and it becomes a simple solution. Then, then they're just engineering problems. So I think it's uh, not a not a lapse of technology and intelligence, but just a lapse of of will. And as I said, people, you know, we could have solved a lot of the problems in the world long ago, and there's enough food to feed everyone on the planet. We just don't distribute it efficiently or fairly. Uh, but you know, automation is inevitable, and automation will lead to a society where it is distributed more efficiently and fairly. And that's not taking away from the rich and giving it to the poor. It's making the rich richer and the poor richer. That's, right. that's the goal <laughs> for everyone to benefit.
1: It's, you know, it's interesting how some of these things we have achieved uh, and we don't even think about it. If we say it's a value to be able to have a book and read a book books once cost money. And I have a book in my bag right now what, about AI. <laughs> so you, you might have a hundred books on your cell phone. Right. Well, I have more than that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you, you know. I have
0: Subway, t- though, you know, it's nice to have a book. And
1: Yeah. But so here's something that was once a material thing that cost money that was limited in its availability. And now... You know, as we can get a used books from Amazon or you can have uh, Kindle books on our on our phones, uh, e-books on our phones, uh, suddenly that is no longer scarce. Right. So you just sort of move down the line. Well, and
0: we s- forgot to share it with the people who could benefit from it not being scarce the most. And so it is scarce in some places and not because of an inability but because of a lack of understanding that – hey, why don't we give these books to people without books or people without paper? Uh,
1: you know. Well, yeah, but then that's no longer a matter of technology or wealth. It's just a matter of organization and will. Right,
0: right. And I we, realized with this project that like I can make a difference. And if it's 12 lives or 12 million lives, you know, there's only a degree of success. And so, you know, it makes it easier to be poor and to you know, not have the awards and the celebrities and the kind of things that I had in my past incarnation as a developer, and, you know, I wake up, and I don't know whether it's Friday or Monday, and I don't care that much, and I'd rather live that life.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm, a, I'm an academic, and I get to do that over the summer. Yeah, I have to look at the
0: calendar because, you know, it's not a, you know, I wake up on Sunday morning like, oh, I got a new routine I want to write into, you know, I guess I got a new way to do something. And it's, you know, and this is why I want for everyone, why I say automation is a good thing, because I want everyone to wake up in the morning and say, and do what they want to do that day, do what they have to do that day, not not what they must.
1: So you move from scarcity to abundance, Right. When I talk about that, I describe in scarcity, if you take water out of the Colorado River and I'm downstream, there's less water for me. But in abundance, if you uh, log on to Wikipedia... And a million people log on to Wikipedia. An hour later, I get, it's still there.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, in fact, your 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 experience has benefited because some of those people contributed. and Wikipedia right. is now bigger. Right. While you're reading it, it's growing. Yeah. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and that's Be what I mean. It's seen... a
0: win-win, non-zero sum. Like everyone wins from Wikipedia.
1: Right. So we're wrapping up. Anything else you want to say?
0: Oh, let's just thank you so much for having me, and it's uh, your support. You know, you don't know how much it means to me. I know I try to tell you publicly and privately, but yeah, it's. Thank you for letting me get the message out, and at least at the, the very idea of selling the idea that artificial intelligence, that as it exists today, and robotics can solve problems today, and we don't have to wait for someone to win the X Prize for these technologies to make a difference in our world. Great.
1: So that's Lewis Arana, robotswithoutborders.io. <laughs> Terrific. So this is John LaBelle. This is Visionaries and. See you again next Monday.